I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to another edition of Light Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast half full editor. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host David Weinstein. How are you, Dave? I'm doing okay. Yourself? I am well hanging in there. That's all we can hope for right now. <laughs> Fingers crossed for the near future and the and the and the far future, I guess, too. Yeah. While we're at it. Well, we need to get through the one to get to the other. So uh Yes. Let's start yes. with the near future and let the other one take care of itself. That is kind of the perfect segue to uh, today's episode. I'd say really arguably one of the hottest trends in spirits and cocktails over the last maybe five years has been some of the oldest whiskey, right? And spirits of all kinds. And I don't mean like oldest 20, 30 year old, 40 year old scotch. I mean, stuff that's from 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago that was made, um, you know, in the 50s and 60s, you know, the sort of... Even the 1850s or 60s sometime. That's true. You know, our friend Salvatore Calabrese, you know, in London, you know, for years, you know, I remember writing a story about him for Gastronomica almost 20 years ago about his amazing pre luxury cognacs that he was selling at the time at the Lanesboro Hotel. You know, they were, you know, going for hundreds of dollars of glass, you know, and he, he really knew all the history. And, you know, he'd say like Thomas Jefferson was, you know, in Paris this year. And, you know, he knew everything that was going on in in the year that made, you know, obviously paying quite a bit of money for a uh, small glass, you know, uh, even perhaps a little bit more worthwhile because you got a whole show and a a history lesson uh, to boot. That's always been one of the uh, appeals of spirits and cocktails has been the, the, the history behind them the stories. And this is just a way of kicking that into overdrive. It's not just the brand that's that old or the category. It's the actual bottle in front of you. Exactly. You know, that's that's quite something. I think Salvatore called his book The Liquid History, right? And I think that's yeah. a perfect name for this. And and that category too, which you know, cognac changes a lot. Like Phylloxera is obviously this little aphid-like creature that destroys vineyards mm-hmm. across Europe, right? And it not only does it destroy, you know, you know, wine harvests um, and, and the wine industry, but also the, you know, sherry and port and cognac. And at the time, obviously, those things were wildly popular. And and then, you know, they find a rootstock in, of all places, Texas, that, you mm-hmm. know, is hardy enough to withstand the Phylloxera. And, and you know, everything's replanted. And obviously when they replant, like it changes the, the grape varieties that they use in cognac even today are different than the ones that they used before Fluxure, which was in the late 1800s. So his cognacs really are a taste of something that you can't get today. It made them very sought after and interesting. I had the great privilege uh, 10 years ago of sitting down with uh, Alexander Gabriel of, of, of Pierre Ferrand Cognac. Uh, and this was for a project we sat down at his uh, 
conference room in, in the uh, Brands Chateau in, in Cognac and tasted through 200 years worth of three-star grade cognacs. Three-star was an old grade that was, uh, I guess, uh, in between VS and VSOP. We had 18 bottles. That sounds like a rough day. What a rough day, Dave. It was tough. And, you know, and we tasted them in chronological order. You could taste the oldest ones, okay. Uh, some of them weren't in very good shape uh, and had deteriorated. Others were, were very vibrant and tasty. And then, you know, phylloxera comes and you, you could taste the dip in quality. And then you could taste it sort of uh, reconstructing itself a little bit between the world wars and then uh, wobbling again a little bit in the 50s and uh, then picking up again. And, you know, it was, it was really interesting. A hell of a thing. You could really see the appeal. Uh, on a drink writer's salary, am I ever going to be able to uh, do one of those tastings myself? I do not think so. <laughs> but uh, fun, fun to be invited to it. For a while, it was just types of things like cognac and port and sherry and scotch, you know, that, that people were looking for, right? That they were hunting, you know, and yeah. in liquor stores and for people's liquor cabinets, especially in Europe where, where people have lived in the same country for sometimes hundreds of years, right? And families, mm -hmm. you know, have lived sometimes in the same house or the same manor house for hundreds of years, right? Sometimes people have amazing, you know, liquor cabinets and, you know, collections, right? Yeah, and cellars. Really, like in the last few years, I think people, you know, began to realize that like, even in the last 20, 30, 40 years, there have been substantial changes to spirits that are a lot more affordable than, you know, pre-fluxure cognac that mm -hmm. are really interesting to track down. Like, you know, different distilleries change, you know, the type of still that they use or they'll switch, you know, to a certain type of ingredient. And, and suddenly it's a slight change, but it's enough, right? And or they change the proof point. Or the sugar level, you know? Exactly. Like, you know, recently, you know, there's been a whole thing about beef eater changing their proof. Obviously, Maker's Mark tried to do it unsuccessfully several years ago. But, you know, certainly Jack Daniels, you know, that that was, I think it's 80 proof now. And, and back in the day, it was 100 proof, right? So, you know, people looking for those bottles. Yeah, and, and when I was in uh, in high school drinking it in, you know, 1970s, it was 90 proof. Right. That was better. <laughs> I was lucky enough once to do a vertical tasting with Brown Foreman of different of their whiskeys from different decades, and we had a 100 proof Jack Daniels. It was incredible. I mean, it was it tasted very different than the modern product. Yeah. And it was very delicious. And you know, I'm a fan of the modern product, but this was, this was really delicious. And, you know, we're not talking about bottles that were sold for a fortune when they were, you know, available in liquor stores. And, and up until recently, there wasn't a huge market for these, you know, vintage spirits, really. You know, thinking of uh, what I have lying around the house and, you know, I've, I've been in the, uh, in the business for 20 years. So, and I haven't moved. So I have a lot of bottles of things. But, you know, I've probably got about a dozen true vintage bottles yeah. that I've accumulated over the years. I'm by no means a collector. I tend to open them up and drink them. You know, in some of these brands, you can really see the change. Others, it's remarkable in, in the other direction that they really yeah. are exactly how they were. And that's kind of cool, too. Or sometimes worse. I yeah. mean, I, you know, I've seen that we're, we're brand, you know, invests in better barrels or a new type of still or... The product is now aged longer. Um, and, you know, they have a new type of filtration system where 
the the products actually improve, which is also really interesting sometimes. The spirits industry went through some hard times in the late 20th century. Absolutely. You know, there was a lot of cost cutting. My friend uh, Julio Bermejo does this thing in, uh, in in San Francisco. If you know him and go to his bar, he'll pour you three glasses of, of tequila and, and ask you to tell him, you know, what the difference is. And you taste them and you go, well, this one's a lowland, that one's a highland. Right. Uh, this one, I'm not sure, maybe a bit of both or whatever. He asks you what brands they are and you take a guess. And it turns out it's all the same brand from three different years. You know? Right. You know, I think certain cities, at least on, on Twitter, Instagram, seem to be, you know, better hunting grounds than others, right? It seems yes. in San Francisco, there are all of these old independently owned liquor stores, you know, in all these different neighborhoods. And for a while, you know, every bartender who worked in San Francisco seemed every week to be finding something amazing mm -hmm. on the top shelf or the bottom shelf or behind the counter of one of these stores. Yeah. One of these, the, the little groceries. Exactly. And bought for the, you know, the price that was, you know, on the bottle from, you know, 20 years ago, or even uh, <laughs> my, my, my former colleague in, in New Jersey, like sent me a photo a couple of weeks ago of a Plymouth bottle that he found in this random kind of liquor store, uh, grocery, you know, from, I think probably two iterations ago, you know, that kind of more art deco statuesque bottle. Yeah, 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 and it, yeah. it had a price tag of like $20 on it. It's funny. I've never been so fortunate. Usually, you know, if I, if I find the liquor store that has some older stuff, you know, it's stuff that I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. brands that, you know, some discontinued vodka brand, uh, <laughs> some, you know, weird flavored rum. It's a case of Trump vodka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, thank you. Um, you know, yeah. or it's, you know, all this, line extensions that you know nobody is crying over that they were uh that they were <laughs> ended um but i you know i still look you know i still look you know if, if i'm in somebody's house i still look obviously to see what they have at the back of their liquor cabinet yeah you never you never know one of my favorite uh, vintage booze <laughs> memories is uh is when i was traveling with bartenders uh doing bartender training uh, with bar smarts i took a bunch of bartenders to the oldest bar in the area we were in Cincinnati and this was this place down in the flats by the uh, Cuyahoga River uh, called the Harbor Inn you know a bunker of a place it did not look very promising and we go in and behind the bar is an ocean of bottles and fully a quarter of them were from the 1970s with little post-its on them saying how much to charge for a shot it's like three dollars four dollars right you know yep, we could and there that. was a bottle of plymouth from the 60s there wow that we immediately drank right and then we started in on something else and then you know oh white horse scotch that's got to be 35 years old yeah let's have that <laughs> there were about six of us wow we were just we were in heaven yeah uh, the bartenders were very amused you know it was like having a indiana jones come in and dig up your 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 backyard <laughs> they were like we got boxes of stuff keep going guys like you know we've got plenty more um, yeah keep going just tip hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That happened to me years ago, uh, maybe almost 15 years ago. I was in Louisville and at the bar and at the Raskeller, you know, bar that's in uh, that old hotel in, in Louisville. I don't even know if that bar is still open, but oh yeah, yeah, they had you know this amazing collection, this bottle of Glenmorangie from the seventies. Oh, there like, you that go. I spotted, and I said, uh, "How much for a glass of that one?" You know, you don't want to like tip your hand that it's special, right? It's mm-hmm. like you know, you just want to act all cool and casual, like. Uh, yeah, how much is uh, I can't even make what does that say? Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, and they're like, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> about like $17. I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, uh, we'll take two of those. Like, you know, it was, and it was one of these amazing glamorages <laughs> that, you know, it's like a, like a slight hint of smoke that had been lightly peated. I mean, it's just, it was totally, it was unbelievable. But like, wow. you know, there's always that famous story that, uh, when Bowmore introduced its now legendary and very, very pricey um, line of like black Bowmores, you know, the first one, right. I th- you know, came out, I think probably over 20 years ago at this point. And the price yeah. was maybe like not that much, like $85, right? I mean, the modern equivalent is like a $25,000 right. bottle. <laughs> and every so often somebody will be in a liquor store somewhere in America and on some dusty shelf will be original bottle of like black Bowmore. And they'll be like, you know, how much is that? Oh, like, you know, it'd be that, you know, blow the dust off. Like mm-hmm. this is $85, like, you know, or whatever it is, $90. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, if you, obviously if you see it, buy yeah. it because that's, but I, I also would hope that you drink it because it's, it's a pretty fantastic whiskey. And most of us will never be able to buy that kind of bottle again. So if you buy it, drink it. Well, that's the thing. So many people buy this stuff as investments. I've had bottles of, of vintage stuff that you open it up and it's like, oh, this is terrible. You know, something went wrong oh, yeah. in oh, the yeah. 40 years that it's been sitting on a shelf and it's all kind of fungal and the alcohol is evaporated and it's just disgusting. That happens. But as long as you don't open it, you don't know that. So it's a valuable <laughs> bottle. But on the other hand, it's so much more fun to open it and taste it and find, you know, okay, sometimes you get a bad one, but you find a good one and there's just nothing better. You know? I mean, it's a little bit different than wine because wine continues to mature, right? You have that, that right. transfer of air through the cork, right? Where with, with whiskey, it goes in the bottle. If it's a 10-year-old bottle of bourbon, it's always going to be a 10-year-old, no matter if it was bottled 100 years ago. It doesn't make it 110 years old. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't age any. That's further. it. But the odds of it still being delicious and quite drinkable is if it's stored upright, you know, out of direct sunlight and you know, not near the oven or the laundry machine. Yeah, you don't want the cork to dry out though if it's got a cork, you know, because exactly uh, then all the alcohol goes. The more alcohol that's in the bottle, the longer you have. Like the yeah. less alcohol the quicker you have to drink it because there's obviously more air and you're getting the alcohol is changing. You know, they're precious, but I think the memory of drinking them is so much more precious. So when you're sitting around talking whiskey or spirits or whatever, you could say, oh yeah, you know, I know what a 1908 overhaul rye tastes like. 
you know, and it's yeah. a completely different world. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I think there's nothing sadder than, than people, you know, who hoard whiskey and have no intention of drinking it or sharing it with people. I mean, I think the most joy that I often get from spirits and cocktails is obviously enjoying them with other people with, you know, it's, it's yeah. a social thing. It's for a bottle to have survived, you know, years decades even you know it, it it often goes through a lot and i think you have to manage your expectations sometimes yes about true. about what that's they did i remember uh my um my wife's grandmother had had saved a bottle of irish whiskey that um my wife's aunt had brought back from ireland you know and <laughs> it was it was special and we you know and and we opened it i opened it you know with my father-in-law and my brother-in-laws on the day that we got married as like a little toast before the yeah, as yeah. we were getting ready and and i'd like to say it was the most magical whiskey i have ever had but unfortunately um said bottle had been kept in the laundry room and i oh. think it, i think i'm not you know it i may have gotten a little warm but you know but still i mean I, I still have that bottle i mean it's still one of my you know that bottle it's yeah i'm always gonna have that bottle you know i mean that's you know, one of my most cherished whiskeys in, in my liquor cabinet you can always you know keep the empties also i remember salvatore saying that his family was going to kill him because he he didn't want to throw away any of the old bottles so yeah. like, he just kept <laughs> stashing them in in the attic of their of their house in london oh, oh that's it funny was, it was getting out of hand but you know i have a bottle of uh from my grandfather a bottle of Drembui, you know like from i don't know the 60s or the 70s and a bottle of mortel that my mom had brought back from france when you know, she was there. She was in her early twenties. For you know, that had been my grandfather's liquor cabinet in his in his house. The cool thing is kind of finding a, the appropriate time to open. You know, one of those. You know, and finding it's you know it's creating an event. Yeah, exactly. Having the right people there, the right circumstances. Yeah. You know, it's kind of magical. It's like you're really bonding yourself deeply with the past. Well, it's also cool because for, for so long, I mean, before people started looking for these things in, in their homes or in liquor stores, like we'd write about spirits or cocktails, but like we wouldn't actually have any personal experience drinking them because it wasn't available, right? I mean, right. it was like going on secondhand, you know, descriptions or people describing it or you know, here and there. And I mean, one of the most amazing things about this sort of vintage spirits craze is that, you know, now you can, you know, fairly easily find a bar, you know, that has a selection of, of old spirits, or at least right. you could before, before the pandemic. I mean, I do think that you have to be careful often buying some of the stuff, some of the old decanters, you know, that, that, you know, that sort of the decanters saved the American whiskey industry in the seventies, right, right. In the eighties, right. right. All these, they made decanters for everything, you know, uh, the, the Republican national convention, the democratic convention. Oh, no, the Elvis. Exactly. Elvis is as a kid. I always loved that one. I remember there's a liquor store on Arthur Avenue and they had an amazing in the Bronx, uh, the Italian section, they had this amazing collection of decanters, you know, uh, Cadillac cars and, Elvis's head and trolleys yeah. and like all I mean all types Bernheim of high mean, distillery one <laughs> right I'm not even sure I realized as a kid that they weren't like models like then they actually right, contained right. alcohol even though you know but some of those decanters also were made with like a lead-based glaze so um it's not so right. Good. I mean, I you know, I've heard varying opinions about like how detrimental um 
drinking the contents of those types of decanters are or, or how you should do it i i would probably well pass. if you get one for christmas that was bottled in november and you drink it by february you're probably okay but they haven't made any of them since the 80s so you're screwed <laughs> right i mean you know and and the ones made today won't would be made with that glaze so you're you're, you're no. probably you're no, safe i mean not. i think wild turkey came out with a retro one um a few years ago mm -hmm. but um yeah, I mean, I've heard of folks, you know, uh, slowly sipping them, but I'll take their word for what that tastes like. You know, and also the laws vary, you know, from state yeah. to state and sometimes city by city about like buying and selling of these vintage spirits. And, you know, and, and over the last few years, we've definitely seen as people's, I mean, it's just turned into a thing. I mean, it wasn't even a thing before, uh, you know. I yeah, remember. now I, I would say all, all, all of the... Uh low-hanging fruit has been picked out of the liquor stores of america you know uh, I, I would i still think it's still worth looking you never know you never know you know it's you never like, know but I, I it's been it's been quite some time and people you know do things like get a van and go to every uh town in oklahoma right. they'll go on a, on a on a hunting trip and they'll they'll clear out every liquor store in it's oklahoma true. basically it's not like it used to be. No, for sure not. But but there, you know, the appraisers on the antique antiques rogue show have what they call the antiques rogue show effect, right? Where they'll you know they'll have never seen something in their whole life, right? It's like you know right. the holy grail. There somewhere shows up, whatever the item is, right? Let's say it's a howdy doody, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, lunchbox, yeah. you know, with some kind of weird printing mistake, right? And they've never seen it, but they've read about it, right? The next week, once the episode airs, the phone lines are flooded with people all across America who have like looked in their attics and their basements and yeah, collectors must hate the that value plummets. Yeah, plummets. I remember watching one episode where this guy had uh, he'd worked for the Kennedy presidential campaign in Dallas, and he had like twenty copies of an extremely rare poster. <laughs> And the oh, appraiser geez. was like, well, you know, like as soon as you start selling these, like the price is going to go down yeah. because it's, yeah, yeah. you know, we only knew, we only knew two of them exist in the world. So, well, you know, record collectors who are a cutthroat, they used to go uh, to, you know, old record stores and say, can I see where you keep your dead stock? You know, the stuff that never sold and you finally just moved it into the attic or right. something. And they'd go up there, and when the guy's uh, back was turned, if, turned, if they found like eight copies of a rare record, they'd break six of them, <laughs> and then and then buy the other Heart two. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it's cruel. You know? you know, when I was working on my book, The Art of American Whiskey, I mean, I was struggling to find bottles and labels and ephemera, and it, you know, it was a few years before this boom. It would be a lot easier to do today, since you know there are folks who you know who who own, you know, dozens, if not right. hundreds of old whiskeys, you know, in their own, you know, one place, you know, um, where at the time it was, you know, it was really a struggle because even a lot of the brands don't. No, they've been bought and sold so yeah, many times. Exactly. They don't have the archives. One of our listeners uh, emailed me a couple of months ago with photos of, we had mentioned the original Booker's bottle and this man actually had one. He had received one as a gift. And it came with a note, the note from Booker in a bag. And I had never seen any of that. So it's pretty, it's pretty amazing right, to wow. see it. I mean, uh, 
I, I asked if he was open for trades. He was not. Um, but uh, <laughs> he was, was going to keep oh, that well. bottle. Asking for a friend. Um, but uh, yeah, but it's but it's that kind of stuff where, you know, he he heard us talk about it and then went back and looked in his cabinet and was pretty sure he had one. Sure enough, there it is. Reach out if there you find interesting things in your liquor cabinets or your family's liquor cabinets or your uh, liquor store. Uh, let us know on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you find any Santa Cruz rum, for instance, it's the greatest old spirit I've ever tried. From Salvatore Calabrese in London. Wow. It's uh, something that's so mysterious, very popular in America in the, uh, in the 19th century, then it disappears. And uh, because of prohibition, we closed down distilling on St. Croix. And when it reopens, it's an entirely different type of rum. But this old stuff, just my final words, the, the great thing about finding these old spirits is sometimes it opens your eyes uh, as to what the world was like. I mean, this this St. Croix rum they had was just a wildly complex, delightful, rich rum that had the grassy notes of a rum agricole with uh, some of the buttery kind of uh, sweet bottom notes of a good molasses rum all mixed in one, you know, and, and you don't really get that anymore. So it was really something unique. And sometimes you're lucky and you find something like that. Well, if you if you have a bottle of Santa Cruz rum, please let us know. We'd we'd like to drink it with you. <laughs> Reprovision, we'll we'll, uh, we'll bring uh, we'll bring something equally. We'll be yeah. right over. <laughs> we'll we'll bring the glasses. Well, let's see. What do I have open now? I have a 1970s Stolichnaya, you know, made in in in, in the Soviet Union. That's pretty. Yeah, good. I remember my uh, best friend. His 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 family had. Uh, you know, a liquor cabinet with all types of, you know, old stuff. But at, at the time, nobody really, you know, like old vodka, like, you know, people were like, well, who cares? You know what I mean? But it's like, I care. Right. <laughs> I, I want, yeah, I'm curious. I want to drink that. Like I, I want to, yeah. you know, whatever it is, I want to try it if it's for, you know, but it, it, it's fairly new phenomenon. So even things like vodka, um, you know, certainly rum, tequila, whiskeys, you know, uh, any, anything really. I mean, uh, some of the liqueurs, if they've been open, might not have aged so well, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, anything else is, you know, probably really interesting to, uh, to try. Maryland rise. I've got a quarter bottle left of Baltimore Pure Eye. Oh, wow. that stuff is cool. The label by made by the American Banknote Company, so you couldn't <laughs> forge it. <laughs> I love it. Well, good stuff. Well, happy hunting and cheers. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.